I want to take a little bit of time tonight and uh, be able to share with you really uh, the greatest story, the greatest narrative, the greatest event in all of history. And I uh, just want to be able to take some time and, uh, and talk with you a little bit about that. And uh, not going to build out a, a huge sermon tonight, but I just want to draw our attention uh, to the thing, to the event, to the person specifically who is most important, uh, especially uh, tonight in this time of year. And, uh, you know, as we think about this, there's, a, there's several things that, that come to mind that I really want us to understand tonight. And, uh, you know, as we talk about expecting Jesus, and I want us to, to be thinking about that tonight, talking about expecting Jesus, and are we really expecting him tonight? Um, so as we consider that this, more, this evening, uh, you know, expecting Jesus, it causes us to think about our perspective. So what is it that we're wanting from him? Are we uh, looking more forward to the gifts, to the food, to the interaction? Or are we looking forward to Jesus? And we've got to ask ourselves questions like that. You know, all through history, all through time, that's been the question that's been posed on all humanity. Before Jesus came, the question was to, uh, to, to Jews specifically throughout all of time, was them awaiting Messiah. Messiah would be coming, and as you, uh, you, you read through Scripture and through the Old Testament and you study, uh, you know, really the, the Jewish traditions and all the rest, everything about how they lived and what they did, you know, everything that they did hinged on one reality, Messiah's coming, and we're waiting for Messiah, we're looking for Messiah, that sort of thing. Uh, but, but the deal is this, they began to have certain conditions, certain expectations about what Messiah would be like. They thought he ought to come and he ought to be a, a military leader or a political leader. He ought to, to, to act these ways and do these things. And, and they had all of these different you know, uh, lenses or perspectives that they uh, kind of understood the prophecies of Messiah through. And so Jesus came and they didn't think he fit the part. And so as we think about that today and we think about are we expecting Jesus, we need to realize that we bring expectations into our relationship with God as well. And we've got to be careful about that. Now, we understand, you know, God's not going to lie. Uh, God's not going to do anything that conflicts with his word. He's not going to, he's not, you know, have, he doesn't, he's not duplicitous. He's not, uh, you know, somehow uh, conflicted with himself. He's not split personalities. He's not strange like that. Um, he, he's, he's true to his word. And so we can, we can stand on that. But beyond that, we can't have expectations of him saying, God, you must act like or do these things and not do those things, or you, you know, all of, we we can't have these conditions that we place on God. Going, God, you ought to act like this, because when we do, we're going to miss Him just like they did. Promise you. But as we look at Scripture, there are a few groups of people that ultimately, that ultimately, God appeared to, and Jesus became a reality to. First. And I want to look at that today. I want to look at the shepherds. First is the shepherds. And there's something awesome about the fact that, that ultimately the first person, I mean, Elizabeth, you, could, you could argue and say that Elizabeth would be the first one who, uh, who knew outside of Mary and Joseph. Uh, Elizabeth knew because her baby leapt within her, the scripture says. And so, uh, you know, uh, it was a, a kind of an interesting deal. I've seen this uh, said too, uh, that a fetus was the first one to acknowledge Messiah and that is a fact um, from Scripture. All that being said, um, outside of the family, the shepherds were the first to know. The shepherds. Now, let me tell you about shepherds in, in, uh, in, in the New Testament, in the biblical times. 
we don't have shepherds. Like, in other words, it, it, you know, there aren't anyone in here that would be considered a shepherd by trade. We, we don't know them. Uh, and so when we learn about things like shepherds or some other biblical, uh, you know, jobs or things that were time sensitive or, or period specific, uh, we, we have to kind of dig in a little bit because I don't know a shepherd. Um, I have assumptions about what they do. Uh, I think they have a shepherd's crook and they look like uh, the Bible people and stuff like that. Um, can, can I tell you that I was in Jerusalem, or I was in Israel in, in, in uh, January, which is crazy. Um, it was super cool because I was in Israel in, in January and they still have shepherds. And they have, they're out there with their sheep. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, they, I mean, that's, they have them doing that. They still do that there. It's, it's amazing. But, but shepherds, shepherds are the lowest rung. They live amongst the animals and they smell like it. They act like it. Uh, they, they, they aren't, uh, you know, well-liked by people. They do a trade that is looked down upon, doesn't take an education. Uh, it's, it's a rough deal. They're a rough crowd. They lack education. They lack uh, you know, social know-how, you know, all of that. They're just, they're people that live amongst the animals. And their trade is necessary and helpful and needed, but they just don't have a whole lot of clout in society. And so, these are the folks that the angels went to first. Scripture says it like this in Luke 2, 8 through 20, and you would have heard some of this presented already, but, but here, this narrative is so powerful. Listen to what it says. Luke 2, 8 to 20, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, one another Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all those who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So Messiah appears, the angels come to the least of these. I love that. I love that. I love that he didn't go to the palace. I love that he didn't go to the Sanhedrin or the political, you know, the political leaders of the day. I love that he didn't find himself in the, you know, in the aristocratic society, in the, you know, in the high. I love that he went first to the shepherd. And here's the, here's the truth for us today. I don't know where you grew up. I don't know where you came from. But I love that the Messiah, I love that Jesus came for the least of these. Because how many know that sometimes we are the least of these? And he came for us. The fact is this, regardless of where economic status lies or what we do or don't have or any of those details, uh, we are spiritually absolutely bankrupt. And so it's a beautiful reality to know 
that Messiah came for me when I was spiritually bankrupt for you when you had nothing to give him, when we deserved nothing but condemnation, nothing but judgment. We were totally bankrupt in our own good. He came for us as he did the shepherd. This is a beautiful reality. So he came to the shepherds. The other ones he came to is that he came to the wise men. And I love that not only did he come to the least of these, the least educated, the least desirable shepherds, but he came to the wise men. And the wise men were the exact opposite of the shepherds. The wise men were the most elite and educated. They were philosophers and astrologers, historians, academics. They were folks that could just just really, you know, just talk circles around you, you know, and just, I mean, brainiacs. They just thought on levels that you and I have no idea about. They just, they were learned in all sorts of different disciplines and, and backgrounds, and they were just super smart, man, very intelligent. Folks would come to them and ask them, you know, what about this and what about that and help me with this and the other thing. Truth is this, uh, even in the biblical narrative, when Herod finds out ultimately that Jesus has been born, he goes to his wise men. He goes to his magi, to his astrologers, his historians. These were the people even the kings went to for answers. And so when Jesus came, the first to find out were the least of them, the, the shepherds. And then those that were the top rung, the upper echelon, the wise men. Matthew 2, 1 and 2 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. In verse 9 and 11, it goes on to say this, After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. My favorite, you might have heard me say this recently, but my favorite. Uh, of the characters in the Bible story, other than Jesus, obviously, but my favorite is the wise men. I love the story of the wise men. They're just, they're, they're so unique. They're so different. They, uh, they're these outside characters, man, that come from a land far off. And here's the, here's the deal. We're not told in scriptures that the, the wise men had any belief in Jesus as far as him being Messiah. They knew there was some validity to a king being born. And they, they want, I mean, these were people that rubbed shoulders with royalty. And so a king being born was something they were interested in. And so they set out on a journey. But what we know is this, is that the star was seen on the day of his arrival. They followed the star for some years because Jesus left and went to Egypt to evade Herod killing all the babies two years and younger. He comes back, and at that point, the wise men arrive. And so they were probably on this journey for a, mo- for, for a couple of years. So here are these guys that don't even believe Jesus, most likely, don't even believe Jesus to be Messiah. They just believe him to be a king. 
because they understand astrology. They saw the star and history. They, they understood the context of the Jews believe this, and here's how this might be, and there's this king that's born. Here's a star. Let's go check this out. They just they, they didn't know this was significant, and so they set out on a journey, and so anybody signing up for a, 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 a camel ride for a few years? Imagine this, man. These guys set out. Imagine the, the, the cost to be on a journey for several years, two years maybe, three years, who knows, but, but for a long time. And traveling on a camel, I can't imagine it's too comfortable. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, I mean, any, any sort of riding on any animal, after a while, you're like, okay, I'm done. This is, I'm ready to go home, you know, or whatever. And, uh, and, and the expense, it's, 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 just, it's just not an easy journey, and they persisted. And then not only did they make the journey, but they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And even the symbolism in their gifts is amazing. Gold for a king. Frankincense, which was ultimately used in in priestly ceremonies. And then myrrh, which is used in a burial process. Now, did they put that together, or was that just the providence of God? Who knows? But man, isn't it amazing? So he comes first to the least of these. The angels come to the shepherds. Says Messiah's come, go worship the King of Kings. And they said, "Man, we got to go check this out." Then he comes to the highest of heights, to the wise men, to the men who knew it all, and they set out on a journey that baffles us even today. These wise men who rubbed shoulders with royalty and knew it all had to go find had to go find this baby, something about him. And they had to bring him gifts that were so poignant, so powerful. There were still some other groups. I want to talk to you about the religious today. The religious. John 1, 9 to 13 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Listen to verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of of a husband's will, but born of God. It says he came to those that were his own and his own did not receive. See, here's the deal, and here's what we've got to realize we will, we will do if we're not careful. The religious leaders, those who were devout in Jesus' day, most of them missed him. They missed him because they had certain criteria that they, they thought Messiah needed to meet. He needed to look this way and walk this way and talk this way and be about these things. That's why as we look at the Easter narrative and we look through Scripture, ultimately Jesus is totally misunderstood. Even as he, as he comes into Jerusalem near the end of his life there, uh, right leading into the Easter week, ultimately they celebrate him, uh, proclaiming him as a military leader as though he's going to overthrow the Roman government, and he wept. Because he realized they missed it. He wasn't coming to conquer anyone. He was coming to die. 
Matthew 21, 31 and 32 says, truly I tell you, listen to this, the words of Jesus, so poignant, so powerful, says, truly I tell you, the tax collectors, he's talking to the religious folks, the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders of his day, he says, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and prostitutes did. He says, look, the ones you call unclean, sinful, vile, they're going to get into heaven before you do. We need to be careful, church. We need to be careful that we don't bring expectation into our relationship with God, expecting him to do what we want him to do. If I, then you must. If that ever, ever, ever is a thought process that we have, God, if I, then you should, you must, you will, you have to. If I do, then you, then what you've done is you've replaced God with yourself and you've become God and you can't do that. God will never, ever follow our commands. He won't do it. Friends, because he's God. We're not. I'm not. You're not. We don't get to dictate to him how he's got to act, how he's got to, 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 to talk and respond and function. We don't get to do that. We need to know our position before the Lord and realize that we can't afford to miss him. And so our heart needs to be humility, needs to be obedience, needs to be surrender. God, let my heart be yours. Let my ears be, God, let me know what you're doing and fall in line. I don't get to make any demands, God. The scripture talks about ultimately that that we are to give ourselves as a living sacrifice, that we're to die to self so that we might live for him. Anybody ever been to a funeral where the person in the casket has demands? I've never done one like that, where I'm preaching and they're like, no, 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 pastor, don't say, no, because I would probably pass out, so I would just, you know, that guy's gone, get a new one. Um, Dead people don't have opinions, and folks, as a follower of Christ, we die to self, and we live for him. Let's not miss it. Let's not miss it. The religious people, many of the religious people in Jesus' day missed it. Many religious people in our day miss him. Don't miss him. Don't think you got it all figured out. If you do, you missed him already. I don't have it figured out. God is big, all right? And you ain't got it figured out. We won't get it figured out. That's okay. It's a continual process to grow, to learn, to, to, to yield more and more of ourselves, a continual obedience, and that's all right. But there were, there were these two folks. We're going to call them the prophets tonight. Luke chapter 2 tells us about two prophets. Man, and they, they embraced him. They embraced him. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 2, 25 to 38. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit 
that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what was customary for the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at all that was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is to be destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that the, uh, the will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce yours, our, our own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel in the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So Simeon and Anna, the, these prophets that were in the presence of the Lord, in, in, the, in the temple, they were waiting for Messiah. Their hearts were humbled. They were just longing and yearning for Messiah. And they saw him. They embraced him. They acknowledged him. They received him. Man, I can't imagine all that had happened around Jesus already. And here comes Mary and Joseph just days after he's born into the temple. And these strangers, man, folks, they didn't know were there in the temple. And they too confirmed. It was over and over. You know, it was just confirmed. Jesus was Messiah. Messiah. Not that they had doubt, but I mean, you just imagine that their, their, their faith and their resolve was just bolstered over and over and over again as God just confirmed over and over again. And so Simeon and Anna said, look, he's the one. He's the one. He's the promised redemption of Israel and of all the world. And so I invite us today. I invite us to be mindful of the fact that God came first to the shepherd. Then he came to the wise man that his own did not receive but to those who were yearning and looking and longing for his appearing, they received him in a powerful way. You, you know, God ultimately wants to, wants to touch our hearts and our lives in a powerful way this year. Even tonight. As we remember him, as we celebrate him, as we take time to focus our hearts on who he is, why he came. I pray that we would begin to search out our hearts and say, look, is he everything he needs to be in my life? Am I treating him as a Band-Aid, as a medicine? Am I applying his, his grace and his goodness over my life as I want him to be there? 
You see, we do what these folks did in many, many ways, man. We have a certain thing we want from God. I want his, I want his forgiveness. I want his grace and his mercy. But I don't want him to mess with this stuff that I don't want him to mess with. He, you just, he, you, you, you fit over here in, you know, on Sundays and, and in these particular places and times and relationships, but not in these ones. And we like to kind of have this neat little separation in our lives. And I, I pray this. I pray that we would have a heart like the prophets, man, to say, look, all I'm about is you. God, my whole life is you. As a matter of fact, you know, Jesus says, unless a man, unless a man turn from his wicked ways and, and pick up his cross daily and follow me, then he can't be my disciple. There's no middle ground. There's no way for us to have a collision with God and say, okay, now, God, we've got to, you know, set the parameters of our agreement. That Look, on Sunday, I'll do God's stuff. You know, and maybe, maybe on a Wednesday sometimes, and, and maybe, you know, some mornings I'll try to etch out a little. But then don't mess with the rest of my schedule, man. Don't mess things up for me. And I would just tell you, whether, you know, I know it's a little bit maybe silly to, but if that's what we do in some form or fashion, then that's not obedience at all. We're only fooling ourselves. Revelation 3.20 says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jeremiah 29.13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We get out of our relationship with God what we put into it. The reason that we're lacking and unfulfilled in our relationship with God is because we're not giving him what he deserves. We're giving him a half-hearted effort, a half-hearted attempt. And friends, I can promise you, you're not gonna ever be fulfilled that way. We have a deep yearning in each one of our hearts for intimacy with God. We might think that's intimacy with someone else. We might think that, that our longing for God can be filled by other things, other people, other other, uh, you know, uh, pursuits, uh, you know, it, it might, you know, for some people it takes the form of alcohol or drugs. It takes the form of, uh, of sex or promiscuity. For other people, you know, it's, it's all sorts of stuff, man, that we just grab onto, trying to scratch the itch in our heart, man, and we just grab onto stuff. And the truth is, all anybody ever needed was intimacy with God. say, well, no, pastor, actually, I just need more money, or I need more women, or I need more booze, or more what? No, you actually just need, you need more of Jesus. You're trying to fix a symptom, but the root of that symptom is only your need for God. It's always been that way. That's why Jesus came. He knew our need wasn't alcohol, wasn't tobacco, it wasn't sex, it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't all this stuff. Our need was not all of those things that we grab onto. Our need was him. And so he said, look, you're, you're going to grab onto junk. You're going to try to find stuff to fill you, but you need me, so I got to go. I got to go. I got to make a way. And he did, and that's what we celebrate today. Don't miss him. Don't miss him. Bow your heads with me tonight.
Father, we ask you for your help and for your love. Your mercy is rich. I just ask you, there's anybody in the house tonight and you don't know. You don't know that you're in a relationship with God. Or perhaps you want to recommit yourself. You just say, look, I'm not where I need to be with God. Maybe I'm in relationship, but I need to clear some things up. I need to get some things right. If that's you, whether it's your first time and you want to commit to God for the first time, or maybe this is the 40th time and you need to make a 41, and you want to surrender your heart to the Lord tonight, I just invite you to slip a hand up real quick. Just slip it up, slip it right back down. Thank you for your hands. Mine's lifted as well. Father, you're faithful. We ask you to rescue our hearts tonight, God. We give you the throne of our life and ask you to meet us here. God, don't be the king of our lives for a day or for a season, but God, be the king of our lives forever. We surrender to you. We repent. We give our lives to you again and again. In Jesus' name.